everyone, welcome back to But Why The Podcast, a podcast where every week me, Adrian, and Matt talk about the things in pop culture that the people say matter and ask the question, but why though? Before we get started, make sure you head over to all of our social medias at but why though PC on everything and join the conversation. On top of that, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And come meet Matt and me at uh, TwitchCon this weekend. Um, follow our Twitter for all those updates and make sure you enjoy this show. Welcome back to But Why Though the Podcast, and today we are talking about one of the first superheroes ever, Superman. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Kate, hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And we have our special guest, Jared, from Podcast 2187, as well as Project Tahiti. Hello. And hi. Hi. Oh, damn it. I was going to say and, <laughs> and then you said hi. Oh. You're being too nice. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we do have a special announcement to make this podcast. We are welcoming Jared and his co-host Just to our podcast community at butwhythopodcast.com with Project Tahiti and Agents of Shield podcast. You want to tell everybody about it a little bit? Sure. Uh Agents of Shield is a show that Jess and I found that we talked about like all the time, even when in between seasons. And uh we ended up deciding, like, I think she she hadn't been podcasting for, I guess, too long regularly, but uh, just messaged me. It's like, hey, do you want to do uh, an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast? <laughs> and <laughs> and so we just go through each episode. Uh, there's a whole lot to do at this point with five seasons completed and a sixth one uh, coming up this summer. We review each episode where we just kind of go through a synopsis and then we have a discussion uh, section after that. And then after afterward, we have a spoiler section where we talk about uh, things that are to come in future episodes and are up to date with everything that's happened so far in the MCU. And uh, I also kind of talk about uh, the comic book connections. I think Jess is only really familiar with it through the Marvel movies and through the TV series, but I grew up reading comics and ended up working in comics for uh, about 10 years. And uh, I have a real love for a whole lot of different uh, characters. And I, I don't know, I've never been a Marvel or DC like, one or the other guy when it comes to superhero stuff. And I I grew up loving, I think, starting with the X-Men and Batman, but then kind of bran branching out in every direction in both companies. So I have a great affection for uh, all the characters that do have connections to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we just kind of get into the real nitty gritty of the comic book stuff and the, the movie connections. And we just have a really good time talking about it and enjoy reliving the uh, old episodes. That's awesome. Well, we're so excited to have you as a part of the family. Well, we're excited to join you guys. Yeah. And for you listening out there, go ahead and check out this spot and make sure you follow them on all of their stuff. Check the show notes for all those links. And here you go. Hey there. I'm Jess. And I'm Jared. 
And we, we love, love Agents of Shield. Shield. <laughs> <laughs> Do you love Agents of Shield too? Or have you never seen a single episode and you want to? Or you start watching and you fell behind, but you heard how freaking awesome the show is lately and you just need a push to start watching again? Well, what you could do is listen to our podcast. Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Where we recap each episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and discuss everything. Including the broader MCU and comics tie-ins. So check us out on the But Why Though podcast community and everywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you there. Mm, Okay. (laughs) So, like I said, the topic of this episode is... Superman. So, truth, justice, and the American way. So, I have to, I was trying to figure out what's the best way to ask because I feel like everybody knows who Superman is in some way, shape, or form in this culture that we live in. Um, so, what is your favorite Superman moment? It can be from movies, television, comics. Um, and I guess just give a little bit of your background with the character before we go into this, because we always like to say our, our, our biases up front, right? Uh, that's kind of our shtick. Um, so since I'm leading the episode, I'll go ahead and say my favorite Superman moment is actually in the episode for the man who has everything in the Bruce Timm's Justice League run, or Justice League uh, series. It's one of those beautiful moments where you get to see the what it means to be Superman, which is putting all of what you want aside and like jumping yourself out of, out of, you know, paradise essentially to fight bad. And like, I I don't know how to explain it. It's it's honestly one of my favorite Superman moments out of every time I've ever seen Superman. So thank you, Bruce Tim for that. Um, Adrian. Um, So that what you said is probably like when I think of Superman, that's the thing I think of, um, you know, back to our justice league episode, like I was obsessed with the justice league animated series. So a lot of the characters I think about stem from that. Cause I didn't really read Superman comics when I was younger or even now, cause I'm not um, like a huge, huge fan. But if, if not that, I probably have to say, I don't know, maybe his doomsday fight from justice league Unlimited was, was pretty fun. Um, just because, like, you see him starting to open up and then Doomsday still gets him uh, with the uh, little shocky thing. So those are, those are the two big moments I think about when I think about Superman, like, when I'm thinking about Superman fondly. Yeah, and I definitely agree with Adrian. I'm not a big Superman fan, if at all. <laughs> um, Matt? So I really don't have a favorite Superman moment. Um, they're really... The character obviously resonates with a lot of people, but not me. Um I don't really know. The only thing that when I really think about Superman, which is probably bad, and we're going to see where this goes, but I think of the Daniel Tosh stand-up where he just makes up how does Superman go faster? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood that concept either. But no, I, I understand why people love him, and I get it. I just He's never been, and this is why we brought on our lovely guest, Jared, <laughs> for Superman <today>. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, at the end of the day, Superman is incredibly important, and we want to make sure on the podcast we're not just talking about stuff we love, but also stuff that people love. So, Jared, why don't you give us your favorite Superman moment now? Well, I, my favorite Superman moment that kind of sums him up is uh, I, I have less sentimental attachment to than others because it's more modern. But in Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely's All-Star Superman run, there's a really, really uh, touching moment where he – goes into a teenage girl named Reagan who's on the top of a building in Metropolis and about to jump. And he just 
lands next to her and talks to her about, you know, her most recent trip to the doctor and her most recent, like basically alluding to a suicide attempt without really, without, without intruding or, or judgment, just saying like, you know, I talked to your doctor and, you know, it looks like you're going to be okay and all this and just telling her that she's stronger than she realizes and hugging her. And there's no, there's no judgment or hate or it's not, there's no throwing a punch. And I felt like that's like a really interesting encapsulation of, of who he is because he doesn't want revenge. He doesn't do it for some weird mission of justice, even though it's in you know the, the old theme song uh, or old uh, radio serial and everything, you know, shtick. But at the same time, I think that he's mostly about just trying to help people and trying to do right by people and use what power he has to do right. And I think that's really a beautiful message that uh, we could all use right now <laughs> because the world's kind of awful. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about others at all and and that basic empathy is what makes him kind of unique as a as a hero i can get behind this <laughs> and, and morrison's version of superman in general is like really interesting you know he had a short-lived run with the new 52 but i mm -hmm. uh i like that he tried to get him back to like kind of uh really social justice warrior roots where because like in superman's first appearances he's like a, a fighting a crooked landlord for messing with their tenants and like yeah. telling them he's, he's got to treat people you know right and with respect yeah. and everyone has human rights and whatnot like it's it's interesting and just where he kind of where, where superman's roots came from how he was developed he has kind of lofty uh goals and and i don't know he represents a lot and a lot of levels so we're gonna start off with history like we always do jared feel free to jump in i've done i've done a lot of research for this um a lot of research for this episode, but I meant I am in no means a Superman expert. Um, so, okay. So Superman is a fictional superhero created by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster. He first appeared in Action Comics number one, and it was published in April of 1938. Siegel and Schuster ended up meeting each other in high school in 1932 um, while they were in Cleveland and bonded over mutual love of movies, pulp fiction magazines, comic strips, and science fiction. Siegel aspired to become a writer and Schuster aspired to become a illustrator. So it was kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, Siegel wrote amateur science fiction stories, which he self-published, um, and he did this in a fanzine called Science Fiction, The Advanced Guard of Future Civilization, because science fiction names were great back then, and I kind of want to get back to that. Um, his friend Schuster often provided illustrations for his work in this. Um, so the first time we actually get to see a concept of Superman comes in the reign of Superman, and we're not talking about the death of Superman arc, reign of Superman. Uh, the reign of Superman initially um, was really, was published in 1933 and it's a short story by Siegel. In January of 1933 he published this in a fanzine and they, he called it the Reign of Superman and the character was a vagrant named Bill Dunn who is tricked by an evil scientist into consuming an experimental drug. The drug gives Dunn the power of mind reading, mind control, and clairvoyance. He uses these powers maliciously for profit and amusement but then the drug ends up wearing off and this leaves him a powerless vagrant again. So Schuster provided these illustrations and essentially depicted Dunn as a bald man. And why do you he, depict him as a bald man? Why is it significant? It's significant because it is the complete opposite of what Superman is now with his little like I don't want it's not a cowlick, but his little twirl of hair and like <laughs> 
like Superman is known for his hair now. You got to mention that the dude is bald. Okay, I mean that's fine. <laughs> I was just wondering why it was significant that he. Was it's like if you go bald in five years, you got to mention it because you got you got great hair. I'm just saying, but if you do, <laughs> um, and and essentially like. He was this bald, powerless vagrant who, when he got power, he used that power for bad and for self-gain. So essentially, this is the farthest from Superman that you can get. Um, so they keep trying to develop this Superman concept. And after some failures of, you know, other means, so they also try to do different science fiction stories, different, I don't want to call them heroes. Because at this point, at this point in the 30s, the idea of a superhero hasn't been created yet. Um, so they ended up revisiting Superman and Siegel modified Superman's powers to actually make him even more sensational. Like Bill Dunn, the second prototype of Superman is given powers against his will by an unscrupulous scientist, but instead of psychic abilities, he acquires superhuman strength and bulletproof skin. Additionally, this new Superman was a crime-fighting hero instead of a selfish villain because Siegel noted that comic strips with heroic protagonists tended to be more successful. In later years, Siegel once recalled that Superman wore a bat-like cape in some panels, uh, but typically he and Schuster agree that there was no costume for the hero yet, and um, there was no apparent surviving artwork from this period in Superman's history, but we see him getting closer to what he is, and all this goes to say that the character of Superman wasn't just a one-and-done. They didn't think him up, and then he became great. Superman has a very long and failure-filled history. Um, so after that, Siegel and Schuster showed the second concept of Superman to Consolidated book publishers, and they were based out of Chicago. Uh, Consolidated had published a comic book titled Detective Dan, Secret Operative 48. I love these 30s titles. Uh, it contained all original stories as opposed to reprints of newspaper strips, which was the novelty of the time. Now, Siegel and Schuster put together a comic book in similar format called Superman are the Superman. Uh, the is important here. Although Consolidated expressed interest, they later pulled out of the comic business altogether. So this marks the failure of the second iteration of Superman. Uh, 1934, Siegel found another partner because all this failure eventually ends up straining, um, putting a big strain on Siegel and Schuster, and they stop working together for a period of time. So Siegel finds another partner and in a Chicago artist named Russell Keaton. And Keaton drew the Buck Rogers and Sky Roads comic strips. And um, you probably know who at least have heard the name Buck Rogers before. Super, super famous character. In the script that Siegel sent Keaton in June, Superman's origin story evolved even further. In the distant future, when Earth was on the verge of exploding due to giant cataclysms, the last surviving man sends his three-year-old son back in time to the year 1935. So we're getting closer and closer to that Kryptonian origin now. So the time machine ends up appearing on a road where it is discovered by motorist Sam and Molly Kent. They leave the boy in an orphanage, but the staff struggle to control him because he has superhuman strength and impenetrable skin. The Kents adopt the boy and name him Clark and teach him that he must use his fantastic natural gifts for the benefit of humanity. In November, Siegel sent Keaton an extension of his script, where an advent and it's an adventure where Superman foils a conspiracy to kidnap a star full football player. The extended script mentions that Clark wears a special uniform when assuming the identity of Superman, but it's not 
described at all. Keaton produced two weeks worth of strips based off of Siegel's uh, scripts. And in November, Keaton showed these strips to a newspaper syndicate, but they were eventually rejected and the project abandoned yet again. So we see something that is way closer to the Clark Kent that we know, similar power structure, kind of similar origin story, but he, he's still not good enough yet. Um, so Siegel and Schuster find their way back together again, and they develop Superman, dropped the the, uh, they'd start developing that version of Superman again. Um, the character became an alien from the planet Krypton. Schuster then designed a now familiar costume, tights with an S on his chest, over shorts, and a cape. They made Clark Kent a journalist who pretends to be timid and conceived his colleague Lois Lane, who is attracted to the bold and mighty Superman, but does not realize that he and Kent are the same person. And th this uh, reminds me of something that I found when I was in college and I was researching the, their writing and the original uh, origin of, of his creation as well. And it was just the, the woman who was the original model for Lois, it was named Joanne, and she ended up uh, she was around the same age as them because they were all like, I think at this point, maybe in their early 20s, late teens, yeah. like they were still very young. And, uh, and I mean, people got jobs when they were 12 and like factory. <laughs> it was not, not like it is today. But, uh, but yeah, they, uh, they ended up falling in love. And it was like a parallel to the, to their story in real life, because, you know, Jerry was this kind of nerdy kid who wrote sci-fi magazines and was like the editor-in-chief of his school paper and had a crush on the girl who was like the head cheerleader in their high school and she didn't have any interest in him but then in real life he ended up uh finding and meeting the woman who would be the model for lois lane and they fell in love and got together when he wasn't you know a huge success or anything even though superman became huge they never got super rich off of it so it's kind of a kind of awesome that the, the the timid you know weird <laughs> newspaper guy or whatever ended up actually getting the girl in the end in real life <laughs> it's real superman and real lois or real clark and real yeah. lois yes he yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely not superman <laughs> <laughs> So in 1935, Siegel and Schuster finally found work with National Allied Publications. And this was a comic magazine that was publishing in New York, and it was owned by Malcolm Wheeler Nicholson. Um, both of the guys showed him Superman and asked him to market Superman to the newspapers on their behalf. Um, in October of the same year, Wheeler and Nicholson offered to publish Superman in one of his own magazines. Siegel and Schuster refused his offer because he was essentially, like, Wheeler Nicholson was kind of known as this irresponsible businessman, really flipping with his money, not really knowing where money's going. Um, and in 36, um, Wheeler Nicholson formed a joint corporation with Harry Donenfeld and Jack Leibowitz, um, called Detective Comics, Inc. And this is the famous Detective Comics. And in order to release his third magazine titled Detective Comics, Siegel and Schuster ended up producing stories for that, such as uh, Slam Bradley. Um, Wheeler Nicholson then fell into super deep debt to uh, Donfeld and Leibowitz, and he ended up leaving in 38. Um and it was, and the company was seized. In early of 37, Siegel visited Leibowitz in New York, and he then asked Siegel to produce some comics for an upcoming anthology magazine called Action Comics. Um, now we're getting into the familiar territory here. Superman's getting closer to being a real thing. 
After another failure, Leibowitz and his colleagues were impressed by the strips, and they asked Siegel and Schuster to develop the strips into 13 pages for action comics. Having grown tired of rejection, Siegel and Schuster accepted the offer. Now, these two ended up submitting their work in late February, and in early March, they signed a contract in which they released the copyright for Superman to Detective Comics, Inc. And this is probably, like, the worst mistake they ever could have made. They essentially gave Detective Comics all rights to their creation, which meant they pretty much saw no money at all. <laughs> um, so kind of let that sink in. It's really sad. We have one of these per episode. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, we do. Oh, God, we do. Everybody makes a mistake like this. Everybody makes horrible business decisions back then. Or really weird, shady business decisions that nobody seemed to question at the time. Yeah. And it all comes back to printing. <laughs> well, and I, and they are like I think that it, it, the fact that they are like barely adults, you know, by today's yeah. standard. I think it feels like that might have something to do with it. But it was also just the industry standard that would at the time. Like even yeah, if somebody had been doing it for a while, yeah, the, the idea of owning intellectual property for comics and comic strips was like nonsense back then. Yeah, because back then, like nobody saw these things as anything really. They were. St- stuff to entertain children yep Which now if you try to take somebody's design marvel will hunt you down and find you <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was a normal business practice back then and siegel and schuster um had also given away their copyrights to previous works as well but at this point it's also like nobody really has the ability to see into the future of what superman would become because superman is the first debatably the first superhero there are some things from like pulp comics and penny dreadfuls that some people may say are superheroes but like the superhero as we know it is superman and that happens in 1938 when the first issue of action comics is released and superman comes out the magazine ended up selling extremely well and feedback from readers showed it was because superman um because essentially, and the reason I say because Superman is Action Comics 1 is actually, like I said, an anthology with multiple things inside it. Um, that um, we kind of talked about a little bit in our Ditko episode, how Spider-Man would close out the amazing series and stuff like that. Like, at, there is a long time in comics where they don't get their own dedicated issues, essentially. Um, and then Superman was fine. Uh, oops, crap. Yeah. So Superman, and this is a story behind Superman that ends up getting run with, and the one we know today for the most part, Superman was born on the planet Krypton, and as a baby named Kal-El was sent to Earth in a small spaceship by his scientist father, Jor-El, moments before Krypton was destroyed in a natural cataclysm. His ship landed in the American countryside, where he was discovered and adopted by a farming couple. They named him Clark Kent and imbued him with a strong moral compass. He developed various superhuman abilities, which he resolved to use for the benefit of humanity. Clark resides in the fictional American city of Metropolis, where he works as a journalist for the Daily Planet, a newspaper. To protect his privacy, he changes into a colorful costume and uses the alias of Superman when fighting crime. Superman's love interest is his fellow journalist, Lois Lane, and his classic arch enemy is the genius inventor, Lex Luthor. Um, And eventually, he ends up becoming known becoming one of the most well-known heroes in the DC universe and has done so much beyond just 1938. So one of the cool things that happens and probably one of the biggest, but why those is you actually have Superman success 
branching out super early. Like the very first superhero TV show is Superman. Um, and hold on, I gotta get that date for that because I didn't write it down. Like Superman has turned pretty much into like a one man franchise. Um, the first episode of The Adventures of Superman, which was the very first TV show that he had, was in 1952. Um, and then he also had Lois and Clark. He had there's Smallville. Now you have the show Krypton, which follows Jor-El, his dad. Um, and you have Supergirl, which isn't technically Superman, but Superman's technically on there sometimes. Um, and you essentially have this character that was the the first superhero in 1938 have such an establishment that he is pretty much he's been a fad he's been a thing since the moment he came out well i think a lot of that too was the um the quickness with which they uh, adapted him to the radio because he he had the radio series i think was in 1940 and yep. ran for over 10 years. So, and was, and I think that that is like what just made every kid in America, even kids who didn't read comics, they all knew who he was suddenly. And yeah, it was like instantly a household name. Yeah. Like Superman's very much like, like the way we think of how crazy it is that like kids today have all these heroes from like the MCU and like all that type of stuff. That was Superman, but like in the third, in, in, in the late 30s, 40s. 50s like there were kids in superman costumes this is what kicks off our love of it our love of them and it's one of the reasons why superman ends up becoming known as the american hero um because he was the first and in many ways and i i would love to see this actually no i wouldn't um but if you watch captain america fans and supermans like they usually talk around each other but like there's like this core of both characters um, but they'll usually debate each other on who's more the American hero, Superman or Captain America. Um, and it's usually a great debate to watch happening. Um, just not on Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, so when you look at Superman as the American hero, um, I mean, as, apart from just establishing the golden age of heroes and the golden age of comics, um, Superman represents the middle class ultimately, at least according to a lot of comic scholars. And initially in the beginning, as Jared kind of mentioned, he was all about stopping crime and he was all about enforcing order. And one of the very first things he does is he actually saves a woman who's getting beat by her husband. Um, he stopped uh, gang members, he stopped burglars, he stopped corrupt landlords. Like it wasn't these, it wasn't doomsday and it wasn't dark side. And it, it, he wasn't a God then. Like he wasn't a character that needed these overpowered inhuman monsters to fight. The original Superman was, he was a super powered man, but he didn't fly. He just jumped really, really high. Um, like, he wasn't overpowered. And so like, I can definitely see from a personal standpoint, like a lot of my issues with Superman come because he's a damn God. Now (laughs) there's not much that can kill that man Um, or really do anything like in a who would win fight. It's not really fun to pit anybody against Superman. Right. Um, But getting to hear a lot of his origins um, ultimately, like he stands in the same way we talked about in our Captain America episode, as America moves through its periods, he stands as 
the protector from those problems. So eventually he does end up getting used as war propaganda. And the, he's called the Big Blue Boy Scout, um, ended up actually fighting the Nazis in the late 30s and 40s. And he was also a reaction to industrial industrialization um, and specifically to the power of big businesses. So you get to see Superman taking down like these giant corporation type people. And that's one of the inspirations that ends up happening for Lex Luthor and why the number one Superman villain like kind of hasn't changed over all these years. Like his arch nemesis is just a really smart, corrupt man when you think about it. Um, and that's kind of the core of what Superman has gone against through the, the most of his career. So how much power does he have right now? In the 30s and 40s, I mean, not really that much. He's bulletproof. He's essentially Luke Cage. Well, and I think even the way they describe him originally, they say nothing. They don't. They don't say he's a. Uh, uh, what do they say? Uh, he's more powerful than the locomotive. It's a lot of it's the same stuff. But one of the lines it's it's there that isn't around anymore was nothing less than a bursting shell could pierce his skin. So yep. like he could be hurt, but it had to be a bomb. Like somebody had to yeah. be firing a cannon at him. <laughs> like, but that was his limit. And there was like an, a, one issue where he randomly changed his face. Like he, he yes. shapeshifted. And once where he like, he basically had the shadows powers. They're like, he used his alien powers to cloud men's minds. But it's like, they did those once and never mentioned yes. them again. They're like, people didn't seem to like that. So Yeah, it's really weird too. Because like, I do think they slowly introduce all these other powers. Like he slowly gets more like, then x-ray vision comes out. Because yeah, that one people liked. <laughs> yeah, people like that one. But you know why? You could market X-ray goggles to people and have them send in the backs of their comic books to buy them. Those are cheap and easy to make out of cardboard, whereas a, a disguise <laughs> kit is expensive. Yes. <laughs> so the shape shifting is good a gimmick. I was uh, just thinking of like the Superman we have today, and I'm like, oh, so he went and fought Nazis. He just didn't like win the whole war in like a day. Yeah. Yeah, like essentially, and then like, um, so like, did the he quote... take a boat to get there? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the quote specifically comes from Mark Wade, who's probably one of the most prolific, like, men behind Superman. And, um, essentially, like, the whole point, like, he specifically says, like, he marched with the troops. Like, when Superman in these early years is used as like a piece of the war effort, he's never shown apart from the soldiers. Like the soldiers are put on par with him and he's never really like he's shown being heroic, but he's, he's heroic in like the same ways that they are, which is really interesting to see. Really similar to Captain America, in my opinion. And don't at me, Superman fans. I apologize. I'm using a frame of reference here. <laughs> um, well, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. But like what's what was like the rationale to get away from that? Because that sounds like again you can at me star wars uh, superman fans uh I, I, it's okay uh but that sounds like more more better not more better but like that sounds like captain america and i like captain america more than i like superman because a lot of the reasons you said so like, what was the rationale to, to go from that to a rock can kill you but i can also move the earth <laughs> i don't know if you know jared I think part of it is just the evolution with the Silver Age stuff. Like, as it, I think it got it, it got more and more sci-fi and less mm -hmm. about that kind of social justice stuff, and it was less about him dealing with real-world issues like, uh, you know, domestic violence and you know embezzlement and corrupt politicians and landlords and and then the war, which kind of consumed I think all of American consciousness for that whole time it was happening. And then and after that, superhero comics in general just became more fantastic and fan fantasy filled. And it just it went from a dark turn to like super optimistic because like yep. Clark and Superman were always hopeful, but he was in a dark world to start. And but then by the end, you know, oh, he has a cousin. Oh, guess what? 
almost all of his family's alive. Really, just his parents are dead. <laughs> like everyone else is fine. <laughs> and like, and it, you know, and it just got more and more. He got he, when, what, by the time crypto is introduced, and he has a, a super powered like white Labrador essentially. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it, it's his life's pretty rad. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and it wasn't until the '80s they finally got them together. But like, eventually, he and Lois get together, and like, he, I, I like, I one thing I like about him is that I, I think uh, Brian Bendis, who's now in charge of Superman, is like uh, directing him currently. Uh, he once said when he was writing Daredevil, and someone complained about, or a lot of people complained about, like all the awful stuff that Frank Miller and Kevin Smith and then him had put him through. And he goes, well, you guys just want, you know, superheroes to have the most boring lives. He's like, if I, you know, if I, if I didn't put them through hell, then what are they going to do? Just enjoy a sandwich. He's like, no one wants to see Matt Murdock <laughs> enjoying a sandwich for 22 pages. But I feel like Superman, for some reason, has been able to get away with it in a way other superheroes haven't, where tragedy isn't what defines him. Even though there is a very tragic element with the loss of Krypton, at the same time, he's not defined by that. And he does get to be happy. He does yeah. get to have lois and eventually a kid and all this stuff like he gets to be a complete person instead of just this like weird morose like batman uh, yeah well in every every other hero oh like, here come the ads <laughs> i love batman but like it. you did every, it now every other hero at this point they try to make into batman you know it's yeah. like like it, it barry allen didn't used to have a dead mom until yeah. like the early 2000s they were fine with him just being more like superman where it's like he just did because he didn't do good because he has dead parents <laughs> it was, it, 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 and i feel like that's a weird a weird fetishization of superheroes like they're all batman or luke skywalker they all have to have uh, the burning parents moment and it's really bizarre because that's even though that's a, a big part of superman's origin it's not a defining characteristic i don't think in his personality yeah. I mean, I don't think it is either because it's one of the, it's actually one of the reasons why, like, I totally acknowledge the destruction of Krypton. <laughs> At the same time, he had Ma and Pa Kent, who gave that child a loving home, accepted him, and encouraged him to use his power for good. That sounds like a great home life to me. Yeah, and he didn't, and it's like, it's, it is sad. It's sad to hear about it. I'm sure it would be awful for anyone to go through it if there was anything close to it in real life. But he also never lived on Krypton. So, like, yeah. he has no memory of this life that he lost and of these people he lost. It's sad to know, oh, all my biological family's gone. But, like you said, like, he had a pretty awesome childhood. And it's you know, a kind of like discovering he that, like, I don't, I don't know. I kind of just see it as like, it. it's almost just this moment where he finds out he has a history. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to buy into the fact that that history outweighs the or good matters. in his life. Yeah. Or matters to like that. Like, because like, it matters to his character when he has to interact with those guys, like when he has to interact with Zod and the other Kryptonians. But like within his, with on Earth, in his, like what he deals with there, like he has a great life. Though you, you reminded me of something I thought of before where I, I once when my when the movies were first starting to come out and all my friends who'd read the Harry Potter books were suggesting, you know, that I that I get into them and I, I read I think the first three before the first movie came out, I, I it clicked that he's a reverse Superman. Because yeah. he has this awful childhood taken in by awful people and should be by all re by, by all like rights, he should be a crap human. Like he's been <laughs> he's only had awful examples and he's only you know been treated like garbage so like him being vindictive and resentful of being a little crap would make perfect sense but instead he's just like 
noble heroic dude for no reason. And he finds out, oh, you have the secret history that's amazing and wonderful. And you know, you need to go live it and live in this amazing magical world. Whereas like Clark, it's the exact opposite. It's like, you have this fantastic home life that's responsible for you being a good person. And it's like, oh, you came from amazing, fast, fantastic, wonderful sci-fi paradise, but it's gone, it blew up. <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never get to go there. Like, I think this goes back to the boring part and things. Cause I just think as we move forward, there's only so many stories you can go with and just kind of like, this is boring. Yeah, which, I mean, I definitely can see that. And it's one of the reasons I haven't really cared for Superman. Because you don't, you also don't get, like, with the lack of, because um, I do agree not every character has to be like a Batman. And I think some people very much try to overmake their characters <laughs> like Batman. But there's one thing that you can't say Batman has bad, and that's villains. Oh, and that's because the, the villains, villains have to one-up that backstory and have to one-up that tragedy and that trauma. And then on when you go to, like, Superman, it's it, in, in our current iterations, right? So, like, moving out of the past and moving into what people know Superman as now. He's a god. He has Darkseid and Doomsday who and Apocalypse who all essentially look the exact same. They're giant men with big muscles. Different shades of blue. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and it, it kind of takes away a lot of that human element, which is, which I guess is used for like the, the Superman mythos, right? Like he is completely set apart from humans and yet constantly trying to be human. Um, which is, I guess another, but why though I didn't write it down here, but like it, it's, it's something that is like kind of makes him at his core. He's a man who can turn away from humanity at any moment. And ultimately he's a man that people are afraid will do that. Um, but he doesn't. And he, and he can smell good even after being dead for like. Oh, oh my months. god! I knew that was nothing. Come nothing. Up. Nothing stops him. Not even smelling bad. Uh, I was wondering how long we could get through this episode without a Justice League reference. Um. <laughs> well, and, and I, th I think what you're saying too, like I think that's what makes Lex his most compelling villain because he's not because he yeah. is just a, a man who is just. He has no superpowers. He's just yep. the pinnacle of what an actual human can achieve in terms of like intelligence and success in our society. But he's also just garbage. Like he's just an <laughs> awful person. And I think in a weird way, it's like that's there's a lot of dichotomies. They've made them best friends, which yeah. it was, I think, an awful choice. They have the a son together. <laughs> that's also <laughs> Connor. And he's back now. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, it, he was uh, I think it was an awful choice in the original way they did it. But like and I hated it any reference to the silver age stuff with like him with his hair falling out and all that stuff. I was like, Oh, <laughs> so stupid. But I ended up loving it on Smallville. Like Michael Rosenbaum is like one of the best versions of Lex ever. And like, you have like Clancy Brown and, yeah. uh, and Gene Hackman to go up against. And even, uh, he's uh, speaking of awful human beings, Kevin Spacey did yeah. a really good job of doing the Gene Hackman version. <laughs> yeah. Like I feel like, like Lex Luthor's hard to mess up, but he, he did this amazing job of him, like uh, like that maybe defines the character for me on screen. Even yeah. though I love Gene Hackman's version, at the same time, like you mean it isn't Michael our Eisenberg guy? Oh, I did not enjoy Eisenberg's performance. No. You know why? Because they cast him as the Joker first, right? They did. <laughs> it's so all that stuff is so weird. Okay. And that, just that whole that whole that whole movie is so weird. Batman being like just being all about vengeance and murder. <laughs> like, like, like it's the opposite of Batman. Anyway, uh, <laughs> well, you watch the new Titans at pilot. <laughs> okay, okay. We have to do a segue here. Back to the first American hero. <laughs> 
all the way back to Nazis and stuff. Um, Superman is actually one of the reasons Hitler bans American comics from Germany. Well, and I, I love you bringing that up. Uh, they both, both the name Superman and the concept of a Nazi overman were yep. both taken from the Ubermensch. Uh, yeah. Yep. So that's kind of rad. Then. Which is funny because, like, um, uh, the creators have never, never once said that they drew any inspiration from the Ubermensch. Like, never once. And I think they had been asked point blank, and they were just like, "No, it was, it was just a class. It was, it was a name." That's interesting. <laughs> Which is one of the interesting things. Because um, I tried really hard. I was like, they had to have been inspired by this, but no. That's that is interesting. I know I had a an old one of the old uh, like Harper Collins books about it, but and it, it said it matter of factly. It was probably just somebody assuming, <laughs> like not and not actually basing anything. Like, it's got to be the case. Like yeah, like because I think it's really easy to make that it's the case because essentially Superman, like that's what the name is. But at the same um, time, they were also like what sixteen year old kids in yep. Cleveland. One of them had lived in Toronto as a it, kid. As, do you like, think they were reading Freud? Right. Like, like, like <laughs> probably not. Nietzsche and Freud and, and like it's like heavy stuff for little kids. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they essentially were. That's whatever yeah, I mean he, he was it was yeah Superman was made in high school. Yeah it's awesome when you think about it. Um, so beyond that, in the 50s, Superman went from anti-authority to like an uber cop um, in the post-war era. And he, we essentially saw ourselves as the world's peacekeepers, and we put that on Superman. Um, and in the 60s and 70s, you ended up having stories that touched on the counterculture and young people not really having a good sense of who they were and where they came from or where they're going. And this is where you have a lot of, um, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is where you get a lot of the buildup of the Krypton mythology. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then in the 80s, you have Superman fighting his own hubris and self-importance. And then um, you have the Man of Steel who appeared in Frank Miller's um, Batman comic book series, The Dark Knight Returns, in 1986. And it was a perfect reflection of essentially Reagan politics and being a heel to the government is how it's been described by scholars. And then in the 90s, you have Superman pitted against not only a bad mullet. Um, those are really, really bad pictures, um, guys. Um, but also really big corporations, and you end up having the essentially the the rise of Lex Luthor, which that redefines the cunning millionaire businessman. Um, and we've kind of you've talked like we we definitely talked about why Lex Luthor is really cool. Um, I actually do think he's a really cool villain, but that may also have to do that. My favorite moment with Lex Luthor is when he's actually Wally West, and he looks at himself in the mirror, and he's like, "Who am I?" In the <laughs> Justice League episode. <laughs> um, so the next but why, though, is essentially he's an immigrant. Um, and this is probably one of the most powerful stories that people attach to Superman and that the creators themselves lived. Um, and this comes from Jim Lee. And, and if you don't know Jim Lee, Jim Lee is probably one of the, the biggest. Um, no, there's a lot of biggest, but he's illustrator. Um, in comics. Um, and he says, it was all about, can you adapt and fit into society? What's aspirational about Superman is that he is about truth, justice, and the American way. And he seeks to be a global champion. And he does this as somebody who isn't a part of American society. He does this as somebody who isn't a human. He's somebody who is constantly aspiring to be a human, even though he is a in all intents for all intents and purposes better than a human you know using quotes there um but he never sees himself as human and then from scott snyder um also super big name his story is the story that all of us share in in one way or another depending on how far back you go in our genealogy 
What also makes him quintessentially American is he's a superhero who, who looks out for us all. You always get the sense that Superman is protecting everyone and he sees everyone as equals. And you end up, and this is, I mean, Superman as an immigrant story is probably just like really, really central, you know, to, you know, the world right now. And I think that that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have been um, coming back to Superman. Like I believe Superman comics have actually had an uptick and stuff like that is because ultimately he's a guy from outer space who comes down and makes a life um, because he left his planet because it was going to explode. And it's, while it's an analog for an immigrant story it, and it's been treated as such by almost every single writer and um, especially um, his creators who were Jewish themselves. Um, so at the time it was really, really big. Um, yeah. And another aspect I think about the immigrant story that, that I've kind of recently been thinking about in a different lens was, you know, he has this, the story of being sent on a rocket ship as a little kid or as an infant in every version of the story, except for in, I think, was it 1986 or 1987 after the crisis on infinite earth story, when DC reset its continuity for the first time, which they would then end up doing again in 1994 with zero hour. And then <laughs> since 2000, they've done it like three or four times. Like they just keep, they keep, sure they keep doing it. It's really weird how often they do it now. Like they, it just, as time goes on, they're eventually just going to reset every year. <laughs> Cause it gets, it gets exponentially shorter between each time. But uh, at the time it, it, they made Krypton. I, I really do enjoy things about that aspect of Krypton that made it into the Superman animated series and in Justice League, some of the like technological aspects. But the, the idea was that it was this really cold scientific society and that it was separate and, and wasn't really uh, in touch with its own humanity anymore. And Jor-El, his father, was like a real rebel in that sense because he actually wanted to meet his uh, assigned mate from there, you know like matrix like society like everything's computer derived according to algorithms like he, he wanted to meet her lara in person and it was unheard of because they were all all their children were conceived uh, with artificial insemination and then birthed not in uh, a womb but in a, a birthing matrix and like these oval shaped black eggs essentially and superman was no different and in fact he was not yet born was still a developing fetus that he just stuck this gestation chamber on a rocket, like it had nothing surrounding it. It was a, like, if you look up the picture, it's like this orange rocket. It's like just the bottom part of a rocket and like four arms that clamp on to this A, this a and then just shoot it into space. And uh, so he's actually born when the, when the egg opens on earth. And I think the rumor at the time or that I, a few years later when I was first reading comics as a very young child was that either John Byrne who wrote the story or um, Mike Carlin, who was the editor for, of Superman comics for like 20 something years, uh, that one of them had an idea in their head that with this reset, they could make it to where Superman could run for president <laughs> by making him born in America. Yeah. And, I, and, and in retrospect, it's like everyone involved in his creation, all these guys who started, all the guys who started the original golden age of superhero comics were all either immigrants themselves or the sons and daughters of immigrants. And like that, like, I feel like it's really screwed up in a way that, John Byrne took that away. And I don't think it was something he probably did intentionally, but it could have been subconsciously like xenophobic. I mean, yeah. again, I, I don't know. He's what a Canadian immigrant to America and his parents were yeah. British. So you'd think maybe he wouldn't be down on a, an immigration, but then again, it's white immigrants moving from England to Canada <laughs> and to America. It's not, it, it's not the uh, most, uh, you know, uh, marginalized population. Yeah. <laughs> 
because it sounds like too like he could have like and if it is and if it isn't like if it came out just like maybe subconsciously or like he could have just like what can make my super man different yeah it, he's that's very well not could. immigrant <laughs> <laughs> you know he's american and he can be president because has at the time that this happened has lex been president yet or does that come later that came in the 90s I believe. 90s right okay yeah yeah, it was definitely it was definitely later. It was either the nineties or the early two thousands. But I remember that run was Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis, I think. Now Lex becoming but, president president. Couldn't you just say that he could become president anyways? Because nobody actually is supposed to know that he's yeah. an alien. Yeah, that's also true. They yeah. fake his identity. Like, yeah, they're fake- from Paraguay or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what I understand. Like, the whole thing, like, you're going into, I was like, Ma like, and Pa Kent went to a good papers maker and got him his papers. Yeah. But even in that story, they fake it because yeah. they have him where he's what? Uh, I think it was right before a, a historic blizzard. So that's the yeah. reason why they're like, oh, no one ever knew she was pregnant because there was this really long blizzard <laughs> that happened right after they found it. I love them. comic book lo- logic. In can- in so does that does that make Lex Luthor like a birther in, then, in that situation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I really wish someone would make this story oh, now. <laughs> too real. No, too Wait, real. Too I don't need that realness anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and it's one of those things, like, and it is one of the things that I've always known about because like i I, i've never i've i've read a little bit of red sun because alex who you know friend of the podcast you've had him on the podcast quite a bit um he recommended reading red sun he said it's his favorite superman run um it's an elseworlds essentially he's instead of falling down in the u.s he falls down in communist uh soviet union um and you see what happens to him if he has that influence and it's it's I, i didn't finish it sorry alex um but like there are all of like the one thing that I've always known about Superman, even without reading it, and I guess just watching the Dean Kane show, I that was my shit when I was little. Um, I loved that show as a kid. I felt like I was so the good. only one. But I, I so good. Thank you, TNT. Um, but I always knew he was an immigrant, and I always I, I always knew that he like I, the conversation around him was always him being a powerful message for immigrants and the fact that you don't have to be born here to be American. Well, and that, that reminds me of one thing you mentioning both the immigrant status and specifically Lois and Clark, but it's something that only I think I knew at the time as friends have pointed out, like they don't, they don't know it now much less before the internet was what it is. But because I was obsessed with this stuff and I, uh, I have OCD and it can definitely channel that compulsion into my interests. Uh, and, <laughs> when as a kid I, I remember getting like the tv guide magazines about them and reading all about terry hatcher and dean kane yeah. i was like he was a football player but he injured his knee you know like, like so i knew that his dad is a japanese american is a japanese oh, yeah american. i didn't know that so i actually dean, did not know that about dean kane yeah so dean kane is a biracial man of color and a japanese american man and was that superman. was superman for years and like every time people get pissed off about a, a, a colorblind casting where they make a white character a person of color today, I get really frustrated because I'm like, Eartha Kitt, okay, Linda Carter, and Dean Cain. We had a black, a Latina, and a Japanese American, Catwoman, Wonder Woman, and Superman are the most famous ones like from when I was a kid. So I don't understand. I don't understand why it anyone could have any problem with this. And like, yeah, Linda Carter, you know, has a, a white dad. <laughs> but, yeah, but she, she is white her. passing. Yeah. yeah and she, but she didn't change her name. She didn't say she wasn't from Tucson. You know, like, like, like yeah. she, some people do change their names either because society sucks or whatever. But yeah. at the same time, like, I don't think she hid her identity. And like, yeah. and Eartha Kitt certainly didn't. And Dean Kane uh, ended up, I think, taking his stepfather's name. So 
it's a which I mean, like ultimately, you just end up like you can't really fault actors for that because, like, oh, not in any way, in a society that, and and it's happened with Chloe Bennett. Um, like I know that she's gotten a lot of stuff for that. Oscar Isaac's gotten stuff as well. Um, but it's kind of like at the end, you have to get work, and a lot of that involves making sure you can get in the room. For sure, Um, one of my favorite actors is uh, James Roday, and like I'm really excited. Uh, this year is the first time I think I've ever seen him playing a Mexican American man because he's. Yeah. But, but, but I know that I read it, like interviews where he changed his name from Rodriguez, even though he grew up in Texas with a Mexican American family. I had no idea about that until I read like 25 people you didn't know were Latino <laughs> article. Well, and it was like the the article or interview I remember reading like years ago was so depressing because it was like, oh no, when I got started in the early 90s when I was in my 20s, like people told me there was no way. I would ever get hired. Like I had to change my name. And it's like, that's so depressing. And then he led psych for what? Eight, eight seasons. Yeah. Eight years. Eight years. Right. Yeah. But then he broke up with what's her name and they were so great together. They got back together with the movie though. I don't oh, know if they're still back the together, but they, they got back together in real life. Uh, I don't think they're back together in real life anymore. I checked. Oh, that's a, that's that sounds a, so sad. That's like, uh, <laughs> that's like uh, Chris Evans and Jenny Slate. They keep oh, breaking up and they yeah. get back together and breaking up again. And I just I, don't know who would so break great up on with... screen which went, went so well with like their real life. So it was, yeah. like, you, know, you know who Superman didn't break up with? Who? America. <laughs> that makes me feel like they need to keep Psych on the air forever because they got back together when they made the movie and they broke up again. It's like just when they're working together, clearly they love each other. Exactly. It's not in the same room, people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird. Uh, super now, if they got back together since I've last checked, then I'll be happy. But last I checked, I think about a, maybe a little under a year ago, they were so still. for Psych the movie too. <laughs> well, let's bring them back. That's uh, that's I want. I would like them to do another movie anyway. But yes, I love Psych. Who makes people happy? Oh. Uh, yeah, I actually didn't anyway, know that about Dean Cain. Yes, but anyways, uh, we we need to get back to Superman. Yes, yes we do. Oh, I, I tried to do that. Then he wanted to talk about Psych more. Matthew, <laughs> yeah. I didn't say anything the whole time. Did so you I figured... just call him Matthew? Yes, because I'm upset <laughs> that you want to get back on track after you kept talking about Psych after I tried to get back on track. <laughs> I'm now a man. I, th- I felt that you were ignored, so I wanted to help you out. <laughs> Thanks, <buddy. laughs> so, going back to Superman, um, the next, but why though? And it is probably one of the biggest things we know Superman for is his moral compass. Um, essentially, his moral compass is that he will always do what's right and he will always fight on the side of humanity at the end of the day. Um, now, one of the things behind this means that he will never kill. However, I did do some research and he has killed people before, guys. They've um, all killed a lot of people. <laughs> well, Superman has actually killed the least amount of people. <laughs> okay, put this way. It depends on um, how much you're counting physics at this point. Well, as, as, as gets, okay, okay. The chest, you're gonna break as the Kevin ribs, Conroy said at the panel at, at Wizard World Austin... So long as they make a grunt while they're falling to the death, they're not dead in TV, and you can show it <laughs> in a kid show. That is what Kevin Conroy said, which is why if you watch Batman the Animated Series, when he throws people off planes, you hear them going, Arr! it has to show that they lived. It's when they land, by the way. Oh, okay, when they land. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. But he has killed people. Um, he has killed really the same people multiple times um or he's done it while being controlled or he's done it in an else world so he's done it where he isn't he isn't clark kent proper um he isn't superman proper um so i try to kind of weed that out and put it into actual stuff um so he has killed zod in the comics 
Um, however, it was an alternate pocket dimension thing, I believe. One yeah, of the, the times he killed Zod. The, so... the first time was John Byrne's story. I remember that one really clearly. And it was an alternate pocket dimension version so they could keep the Legion of Superheroes around because they, when they reset everything, they were like, well, we can't reset Legion or it doesn't make any sense. So they still had their history with Superboy, even though Superboy never existed. <laughs> and, yes. and so there's this stupid convoluted thing. It's where the really, really weird Supergirl, uh, who I love and is an amazingly well done comic series, but like it's the most comic book sounding thing in the world. She's, <laughs> she's a shape changing a protoplasmic being from this alternate pocket dimension who took the form of Supergirl uh, and became Superman's adoptive cousin. And But she ended up merging with a human girl named Linda Danvers and they, the merging of the two souls and the sacrifice that she, you know, she willingly gave made them become a new gestalt being that's one creature that was uh, <laughs> an, an angel. Uh, I think that is an avatar of fire on earth. And it's, it's so convoluted and weird and bizarre, but there's a lot of fun. I like that better than like the actual Supergirl stuff. I was really mad when they brought uh, <laughs> when they brought the pre-crisis Supergirl back. When they brought the cousin back, I'm like, yeah. she's just his cousin. <laughs> like, it's not, like, it's like, that's not an origin story. It's like, oh, that's my cousin. Like that's like a two second thing. Whereas, yeah, I, <laughs> a protoplasmic being who gains. Well, and she was she dated Lex Luthor for a long time when Lex had faked no he didn't fake his death he got cancer because he wore a kryptonite ring to, to to really mess with superman and get in his head he wore a kryptonite ring all the time and ended up first he got a robot hand because of it because he gave himself cancer and then he ended up dying and he had his he had his uh, consciousness transferred to a cloned body oh so, that's right so at the time he, he but he was also like uh you know genetically engineered so he was tall and buff and had long curly red hair and an Abe Lincoln beard. And he was Lex Luthor the second. He created a fake identity of a long lost son from an affair. And, but he dated Supergirl for a long time. And Supergirl was constantly arguing with Superman where she's like, no, you still don't get Lex. Like, <laughs> he's not really that bad. He's pretty, he's not like his dad. He's just like, I don't think he, I think he is his dad. <laughs> because it's comics, of course. No one believed him, even though they all have encountered, even though she's a protoplasmic being from another dimension. She's like, I, don't, I find that very hard, far-fetched. I don't think he's his dad. Uh, but I mean, it has to lead to like ultimately the biggest question in comics is like, what have these people been smoking for a lot of these writing sessions? Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> like, that's, I think a lot of creatives, there's, there's always the jokes about like poets on payday, you know, whatnot. A lot of creatives uh, drink a lot. <laughs> a lot of creatives use mind-altering substances. I mean, if you look at the Silver Age. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, he, so he does kill Zod. He kills Zod and um, other Kryptonians uh, with Kryptonite. Um, but because it does happen in this altered continuity and or this different continuity in a pocket dimension, like he kills Zod in different times too, but there's always like an explanation for it. That's one of the reasons why you end up having this huge controversy in Man of in Man of Steel. Because right there, you get the biggest moment of that movie is when Henry Cavell Superman just breaks um, Zod's neck. Um, and like it is, it is highlighted. It is there. There's like that gif of Zack Snyder like smiling when he like fake does it uh, to show Cavell what to do. But like, <laughs> it, it was probably one of the most frowned upon moments in a movie, in a comic book movie ever. 
um, from well, the I, fan base. I think that for me too, the part that makes it messed up, even though like one of my first Superman comics, I read the one you were just talking about where he kills uh, Zod and Nan and, and uh, Feora, I think. Uh, his two partners yeah. from the comics who are different from the ones in cartoons and movies for whatever reason. But uh, I, I think that they, it was something like he exiled himself. It was yeah. the first time like he had a beard. He ended up, that's when he met the character Mongol for the first time and ended up in his gladiatorial arena in space. Like he left earth for like a year in real time in the comics because he was like, I just took lives. Like I have to really think about this. Yeah. It's, it's not me. And it weighed on him for the rest until they reset continuity in like it completely in like 2001 or whatever like it like it it resonated for the character for like another 17 years or 15 years and i think that that's it, it's something that was really important to him and then Zack snyder's like oh he killed a guy but for real the real superman did and like he just shoved it in that movie yeah. like like it's like it's his first adventure and he's already murdering people it's it, it, it's hard for it to be like this big dramatic story where he's breaking character and doing something it, it loses its gravitas when it's his first mission because it was him yeah. breaking his vow and him doing something that was really hard for him to do but it was the only way to save earth from like total destruction and and, and but even for him that was really hard to do to kill one person to save everybody else and i think that that it loses meaning when it's his first go out you know it's yeah. like it, but at the same time it is it's hard to argue it completely because he's done it like five times. Like he just yeah. keeps killing Zod. Every time he does it for real, it's Zod. He always kills Zod. Yes. And that's one of the things, and it's really hard, but I definitely agree with you. I think the reason that like people were mad about it was because of the way, the way Zack Snyder did it. Um, not necessarily the act itself, but the way he did it. And I think ultimately like when you have, it, it, like I've always seen Superman as a guy who won't kill because like some of my favorite interactions is where Wonder Woman is like, yeah, I wouldn't have dealt with that because I would have taken care of my villain. Like that, like those types of interactions have like defined both those characters for me. Um, and I like that it's like something that's weirdly links him and Batman, you know, because yeah. they both like value life so much. It's it, it, they, they, they have completely different methodologies. They have different personalities. They look at humanity and people in totally different ways but they both really want to save people and they want to protect all life even people who would kill them yeah it's why the joker keeps messing up gotham <laughs> also <true>. um, <laughs> um which going to the joker he has also been killed by superman so in the injustice gods among us run leading up to the video game it's a comic book tie into the video game um the fighter the joker ends up kidnapping a pregnant lois lane and using Scarecrow, um, the Scarecrow gas to convince Superman that it's doomsday. And so Superman rushes in thinking Lois Lane is on the table about to be operated on and grabs doomsday and shoots him up to the sky. When he's far and you have Batman in his ear telling him, dude, that's not doomsday. Stop doing that. And by the time it wears off and he realizes that he's that it's not doomsday, it's too late and Lois is dead. Um, and they're flying up in the air, and it's like, holy shit, you just made me kill Lois. And so technically he's killed Lois too, but that wasn't really in his right mind. Again, one of those things. Um, but he ends up flying back down and he punches a hole in the Joker's chest to your if Superman punches you comment. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's really brutal. Like I will include that panel in the, in the show notes. 
it's a brutal panel. Like it is, you know, in vampire movies where they have the vampire put their hand in their chest to pull hearts out. That's what that is. Um, he, of course, has killed Doomsday, which I don't know what I don't know if that counts because a lot of the times people say that like essentially Superman just doesn't kill humans or like Kryptonians or like humanoids. So like anything that has that like value of life, really. Well, because- and originally Doomsday was like a mindless monster. Yes. He had no personality or history. He was just a murderous destroy like, yeah, that's, that's it all he was yeah and so that so he kills doomsday he I, I put this in for you matt he's killed green arrow twice yes <laughs> one of them was because he a uh, green arrow accidentally injured pa kent um <laughs> also in the injustice run injured but he killed him that's yes. so extreme that in, <laughs> it, it, knee, so that means you need to take your head off it, yeah. it, that also reminds me of uh, in like the classic Alex Ross, Mark Wade, uh, Elseworlds, uh, Kingdom Come. Joker yes. kills Lois, and Superman. Bef- I think he contemplates doing it, but the extreme young guy, kind of based on Cable, and he looks basically just like Cable, but he's shirtless and has giant horns as well. Magog uh, murdered him like before Superman could even really evaluate it. Like like while he's yeah. being taken into custody, he like just murders Joker in front of everybody, and it's like. Why didn't you guys do this earlier? <laughs> but but uh, and then he goes into exile for years afterward, just like for even letting it happen. Like he's yeah. so anti-murder. Like like the dude who murdered his wife, he's like, well, I got to give up being a superhero now because uh, I let the guy who murdered my wife get killed on my watch. It's like he's so he's such a martyr and so, yes. like, <laughs> so anti-murder. Um, and so uh, essentially, with the moral compass, it's easy to do that when you're a god. Right. Like it's easy to have a great moral compass when nothing can really hurt you. Um, but ultimately, and you you brought this up, the Grant Morrison and Quietly Young uh, run, and you've already des- uh, described that panel where he, you know, t- essentially talks somebody off the ledge. Um, it, it, it was done and it, it's done to one of these ways to show that his moral compass doesn't just expand to Doomsday or Zod, but it also expands in those little moments where he doesn't need his heat, his heat vision, where he doesn't need to fly, where he doesn't need to do any of that. Um, and to show that like his moral compass is even in those small moments. Now, ultimately, the biggest test of his moral compass is in the death of Superman, which is both loved and not loved at the same time in certain circles. Um, so in the years since its release, the death of Superman um, has kind of been dismissed as a publicity stunt. That <laughs> being said, um, people still loved it. And it's still probably one of the best written like arcs, layouts of a Superman story. Between that and the, de- the death of and the follow-up, the return, like they had it plotted out. They had four simultaneous books running, and then a, I think a couple other things would come in to fill in the fifth weeks. Yeah. But they basically, Superman was basically a weekly series. They even had little triangles on the front that said what year, what week it was in the month, so they, or, 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 or what, what, what week it was uh, in the year. So it went yeah. through one through fifty-two with a little little triangle that said nineteen ninety-three, you know, one, and you knew your reading order because it wasn't the first issue of action comics, uh, uh, you know, or whatever issue came out in January and then the next issue, it was whatever came out the next week and you followed it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that piece. It was really cool. Like, like, and that, and the stories were taking place concurrently when they were about different characters. It was, it was really interesting. 
That's awesome. And it sounds like a better way than like the 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 10 part Marvel events that happen and you have no idea what to do in that reading order. Well, and, and I, I don't want to like be too crass because I love it, but I was 11 and I literally had a white T-shirt that had a picture of the funeral procession uh, that uh, drawn by John Bognado, yeah. I think, that had like, or I think, that had all the DC characters like being his pallbearers and all these people yeah. crying like mom, Pa Kent and Lois in the background. It said on the back, it said, where were you when Superman died and had the date that it was released? Like <laughs> they had that, sh that stuff ready to go, <laughs> like, like printed out in kids through, you know, double XL sizces. So <laughs> it was definitely a crash. And it's also one of those moments like, comic book deaths haven't been like solid up until here like superman didn't make the temporary death but he's he was such a big character dying that it was like this is kind of cheap um that being said it is still a really great arc and essentially in the death of superman um it how do i think so yeah so it began in 1992 and it lasted until 1993 and it was published um, in Superman, in the Adventures of Superman, Superman, The Man of Steel, Justice League America, and Green Lantern. So it was this big crossover event. Um, and since initial publications, it's been reprinted into different formats and editions. And it's broken down into three different arcs within the giant Death of Superman arc. And the first is Doomsday, which chronicles Superman's deadly fight with the bloodthirsty monster. And it concludes with his death. Um, the second is Funeral for a Friend, which depicts Superman's fellow superheroes and the rest of the world mourning his death, as well as Pa Kent's heart attack. And then the final part is Reign of uh, Reign of the Supermen, which sees the emergence of four individuals claiming to be Superman and the original Superman's return as well. Um, and so this it's this long, like, kind of progression um, that, that highlights the character. But the biggest part here is that in Death of Superman, you really see, like, they die by essentially breaking each other's necks by punching each other. Like, yes, <laughs> he wins because he broke Doomsday's neck by punching him, but he had to get close enough to take that hit himself. Um, well, and he like he fought him to a standstill, like after t after he took out the Justice League for like yep. for like two months across four comic books. Like every issue was just him them like fighting through Metropolis, destroying stuff, knocking stuff down. And in fact, the way they explained. Clark Kent surviving and him not was using the shape changing Supergirl uh, because when when Superman was dead they they made it clear that they weren't the same person by late, later on by having uh, him come out of rubble like yeah. from, from like from from the ruins of the of the, the Doomsday Massacre through Metropolis and uh, he he been a survivor and he was like oh I, I was down in there and, and you know in the dark and I lived on water or whatever for whatever <laughs> weeks but. I love that arc because it introduced uh, Superboy and Steel and Eradicator and the cyborg Superman villain who had already been sort of introduced as a Fantastic Four uh, parody or like mm -hmm. not really parody, but like homage. Is that the Shaq character? Yes, that's, Steel that's is, Steel, is the Sha yeah. Shaq, Shaq did play Steel, although oh, that was awful. Although they removed all the connections to <laughs> Superman. Yeah, and. Yeah, it's just not not a good movie, but <laughs> it's the inferior Shaq movie, Shaq Kids movie. The superior one is definitely Kazam, where he's yep. the genie. That one's excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, in, in a way, but uh, but no, Steel is a like a great character, and Steel and Superboy still. You'd said uh, he and Lex have a son together. <laughs> yeah, 
they're super boy. They're uh, around, although Connor uh, can't uh, has like had a couple times that he's been taken off the board for whatever reason. People at DC have been like, "Oh, let's not use him for a while." And yeah. he's back he, now, though, yeah. in his like original '90s getup, which is awesome because it's the best costume in existence. And I, what I love most about it is what was at the time like a New Kids on the Block esque fade now could easily just be converted into like a really harsh undercut and like yep. it's cool it's not just cool again it's cooler than it was by the time yep. they got to it because it was like a 1991 <laughs> like 1990 look that a bunch of middle-aged you know white dudes writing comic writing and drawing comic books in the early 90s were like, like you know what's him? what do kids look like oh my, my daughter has this poster from three years ago <laughs> like, like, I'll, I'll use that but uh no but now he looks awesome and uh i'm really glad that he's back and Steel is great. Eradicator is an interesting character. Like is tied to Superman's that kind of super alien version of Krypton, yeah. the less that's human version in, in his and Kryptonian then, history. And Cyborg Superman's a great villain. Like that oh still... yeah, and that's one of those things that like it pops up in lists of like people Superman's killed. But I'm like Cyborg Superman's not a person. It's a cyborg. Yeah, no, he's <laughs> that counts. He's a disembodied oh. consciousness that cannot be killed. He could yeah. like he was there on the human cyborg thing whether it's good or bad whatever matt you could go listen to our patreon episode of <laughs> X machina and matt talks like says they're robots um, well, he uh what do you call it he he was a mr fantastic because yep. there was a version there was a, a dan jurgen story earlier on in the post-crisis superman history like a couple of years before the death of superman that introduced him his name is hank hinshaw and he was a brilliant astronaut whose family all got superpowers but eventually they're all their powers killed them each. Yeah. And he was uh, trapped inside of computers, like his basically his consciousness. And eventually he got a hold of the birthing matrix that I was talking about before, the black yeah. space egg that Superman was born out of, which he was artificially inseminated from this technological society. Guess what? There's a bunch of other Superman <laughs> genetic information in that egg. So he just cloned himself a body and then made the rest cyber cybernetic so he could control it by uh, controlling technology. So and Ultron. Yeah, so uh, Ultron with Superman's actual DNA. Yes. <laughs> and so he passed a DNA test, which is also really weird, really weirdly relevant. Uh, but yeah, so uh, no, and now he's like, now they're all like really important parts of Superman's uh, mythos and legacy and they added to it. Yeah. And I, I like it like because they added a version of Superboy that was a unique character because before before that it was just Superman when he was a boy. Like yeah. there was a Superman TV show or Superboy TV show that was syndicated. Oh, I, was I didn't kid. know that. Oh yeah, in the '80s. If you look it up, they went to I think maybe Siegel University in a fictitious place in Florida. It was him going to college in Florida. Holy <laughs> it's, it's, crap! It's super okay. weird. But uh, you guys should look that up. It's really bizarre. It's super cheesy special effects, but that was one of my like that and the reruns of the of the um, George Reeves TV show on Nick at Night were I, were like my first exposure to him over the movies. Uh, That's cool. No, it's really, that was pre predated um, Lois and Clark. It was really bizarre, yeah. but <laughs> um, and like the last piece to Superman's moral compass is ultimately Lois Lane, um, and it's uh, I did quite a bit of research on this because Lois Lane like actually had there's a young adult series about Lois Lane right now and stuff um, in the same vein that like uh, Gordon has gotten his due. Um, so perhaps she's probably one of the best known female characters like outside of like Wonder Woman and stuff. And without Lois as a supporting character, you end up with Superman who has who doesn't have that grounding piece. Like Lois grounds Superman. And 
she's essentially just like Commissioner Gordon um, is for Batman. And she's the one that keeps him grounded. She's the normal human who essentially gives the audience this look into Superman because she shows it from the street view. Um, and she, through her, we get to see the story through the good and the bad. And she's brave and she's intelligent and she's almost always in over her head. But she loves her job and she has her job and that's all that matters. I don't care for Lois Lane at all. And one, the fact that you bring up intelligent. I know they eventually get it, but I still don't understand how you work with somebody and he th takes off some glasses and you cannot recognize him. <laughs> They're special all. glasses, Matt. Well, and there was this interesting thing that, like, the headline was deceptive, but it was based, I, I can't remember what university it was, but I remember reading about it in, I think, high school in some article. And it was a university study that showed that people, uh, especially when they're attracted to people, look directly in their eyes and if the glasses are thick enough that you can actually it will change the shape of your eye uh, the way your eyes appear so it's it is conceivable that someone could see someone every day if they were intensely attracted to both lois or to both clark and superman you would just look directly in their eyes both times which which tracks with the character but for that to work every other person in the dc universe has also to also has to be very attracted to, to both superman of them. not just superman but also anyone who knows clark has to want to bone him so it's like it's kind of weird to think about that way it's like oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, was, very I, was, white. I was waiting for the extra things i was like my wife wears very thick glasses <laughs> and she took them off and I was mean, like oh i'm a different person said, i'd be like that nah. being said, people do look different from do look different in like some people look very different in glasses than they do without glasses. But we're talking about somebody who goes from like, "Hey Clark, I'm going to see the story," to like ten minutes later, "Hey Superman, how are you doing?" And the thing is, yeah, and like, also he's jacked, he's jacked as shit. Like, there's not that many jacked like people in that world. He doesn't mess up his hairdo either, so the hair is about the same. At least he like if he wore a wig or something. <laughs> yeah, there are some iterations well, of Lois Lane I don't mind, but for the most part, I. I don't really care for Lois Lane. I actually Lane. really like Lois. I don't care for Lois Lane. Out of all the supporting characters, I know she's the most like well known, but like I don't really care for her. So I care for Lois in the way that like when it comes <laughs> to supporting female characters, Lois is amazing. Like other women in comic books who get put as the girlfriend character, like they are not anywhere near as competent as her because there are a lot of times where Lois actually gets herself out of situations. Like, she's able to think on her feet and be in the thick of it and deal with it. Like, she isn't super-powered, but, like, she is able to be that human lens for Superman when he's losing losing sight. Um, and it's also one of the reasons why, one, I really hate what they've done with Iris West in The Flash. Because I'm glad we were going to bring lost. it up because I yeah. can't stand Iris West. Yeah, <laughs> because Iris, Iris West was a woman who put her work above stuff. And she was a journalist and she was this in the Flash TV series on, on, on CW. Yeah. And she doesn't have that anymore. She abandoned it to be the leader of Team Flash. And I'm like, one, you don't know how to lead a team. What? What qualifications you became de facto do you have? leader for no reason. Yeah, it, it, it. it just doesn't work. And for me, they're pulling away like this important core of what I see, like these these like the girlfriend types, right? Well, in the comic thing books. was before this though, they've almost made her in Lois Lane because at least from my memory, yeah, I don't know if Iris West ever did no, anything. No, no, she wasn't really. And so if anything, they've just like made Iris West into Lois. Well, Lane and, and that's she, she. She was always a reporter, and I think that, that that's something that you were talking about. Superman being the model for superheroes, yeah, right. in the exact same way. Lois is the model for superhero, you know, girlfriends. Right? Yeah, but like, uh, 
Iris and then later Wally's long-term girlfriend and later wife, Linda Park, she ends yeah. up becoming a doctor because a writer was like, everyone's girlfriend or wife is a, is a reporter. A she was, she was a reporter <laughs> and, and, and it's every one of them, like just about has at least at some point dated a reporter or a photographer. <laughs> Vicky Vale. Yes, Vicky yes. Vale. <laughs> to be fair, it is by proximity because usually if you are covering superheroes, you're more likely to be around oh, no. superheroes. Unless you're, unless you're Peter Parker and then you just cover yourself. Well, and the, the, they did have him, though. He dated uh, Betty Brant oh, briefly, right, yeah. although she was, what, the secretary, not yeah. a reporter. Well, he, he does date other reporters off and on before he, he settled down with Mary Jane for until the devil got involved. Weird stuff. But or until uh, he killed her in heavy, that, was it that rain? Oh, rain she, that's so, that feels like a parody of The Dark Knight Returns to me. <laughs> but, like, it's so silly. It's beautifully drawn, but really weird really weird but uh yeah, i do i do know what you're talking about <laughs> radioactive uh, sperm poisoning yeah, it's, it's, uh, awful. it's so stupid but uh but no it's it's something that i think lois kind of did set that standard and you're absolutely right like they nailed it with the reporter job being like making a lot of sense even if the hero isn't a reporter for him to have the, them to have close yeah. proximity like there there is a reason why it stuck so well but she was the one who set the model for it yeah it's just the same yeah. No, I definitely see that. And I think that's one of the reasons that I get kind of upset because like you do end up like with that girlfriend trope in comics, you end up with Frigging that comes up a lot of the time. And like ultimately, like, yeah, it happens to Lois every now and then, but she's highly freaking competent. And like, it doesn't happen a lot of the time to her. Well, and, and Alex, <laughs> uh, the w girl who was the first character fridged yep like, like the coin the term girlfriend yeah. he was a photographer <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all journalists it's so stupid um <laughs> and you said about her being competent like past the 50s like there was very little damsel in distress stuff oh, she yeah. usually took care of herself exactly I like she was hunting down a story and superman mm -hmm. happened to be there like right. she was her in to get that story which was one of the things that was really cool to see like in the same way that like jim gordon i mean he, jim gordon can take care of himself a lot better because i mean he's jim gordon but like in that same vein like it was somebody who was there who was in love with superman but wasn't the damsel and that was really cool and i think that that's one of the things that's kind of bugged me and i don't think that they've transitioned well on the flash tv show for iris and losing that core of what that character is like having her have her own story outside of the character I like completely agree yeah it's well, it's, it's frustrating like, it's upsetting because even though they did have a little more i think more than the comics had for years in lois and clark you know like it felt like every third episode she would be like squealing as she's yep. falling and he'd save her but in the same episode she was going out and taking initiative she was doing stuff having nothing to do with him and th their plots were interweaving because she was an investigative journalist and yep. had like a very strong you know sense of moral duty to help people as well and yeah. i think that like she even though she was more of a damsel i think more frequently than iris is she was also more independent more well-defined and like and more of an active hero on her in her own right which considering she runs the hero team flash like that's kind of depressing <laughs> to think that yeah. like Terry Hatcher occasionally falling off a building squealing was more of a of a badass lady reporter because that's not fair, you know, to what's yeah. Candace Patton like. Oh be, yeah, she's she is capable. Like, there's no reason they couldn't write her better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
And that's, that's, all, that's a whole other conversation. That's my biggest problem with a lot of the women on DC God, TV. People are like, but love them. And I'm like, no, they're written badly. They're props give for them, the men. Yeah, give them good writers. That's all it takes. <laughs> like, you don't need, not everybody needs to be on Team Flash. And not, it, oh, whole other yeah. conversation. But yeah. I, I, have thought, I have a lot of thoughts about that stuff, for sure. I think we all do. Yikes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will say this, so like I said, as much as I'm not a big fan of Lois and what they've done, they do have some, like you guys have said, some pretty good iterations of her. Yeah. Yes. Also have some other ones that are kind of like really but the biggest problem i have like i said you work with somebody obviously <clears throat> they have the ones where they get together but before then you're like you have no idea who this person is like really. we both wear glasses so and i wear glasses <laughs> not that much of the time a lot of times and you tell me if i just take them off from around the corner you're gonna lose me in the crowd yes okay <laughs> <laughs> um but like when it comes down to it and looking at this uh, the reason i have it in there is because she one she is one of those but why those for superman she is like you said the prototypical like she's the superhero girlfriend she's but she's also a lot more and gray greca has like a really good quote about her and he said i think lois is amazing and it comes down to portrayals she's the woman that superman falls in love with think about who that woman has to be it's not the most beautiful person in the world, but that's somebody who can go shake his view and once again, I have to quote Wade, and surprise Superman. This is a man who can fly around the planet and for Lois to do or say something that sets him um, on his ear, this is a guy who's seen wonders we'll never see and Lois to him is one of those wonders. The biggest thing that gets to me and one of the reasons that Lois gets tarred with the bitch um, appellation is that we assume rightly that Clark would be attracted to a woman who is strong, passionate, and capable. But those very positive traits can be portrayed if you're not careful as very negative things, especially when issues of gender get involved. It's very easy to go from strong and outspoken woman to bitch. A lot of that societal, their sexism involved that allows that, that kind of self-confidence be read as arrogance. Consequently, that's one of the landmines you have to dodge when you work with Lois, but I don't mind that. She fascinates me. I actually think that one of the reasons that Lois is there, one of the secret brilliances of Siegel and Schuster's work, whether or not it was intentional is that we see not only as a love interest for Clark but through Lois we see the wonder of Superman it's easy to take for granted that bullets bounce off Superman when Lois sees this as a reporter she says wow bullets uh wow bullets bouncing off him and I think that's a really good quote because like I think a lot of the times like Lois just gets pushed to the side but there's so much in her like Superman can is a god and yet Lois makes him quake in his boots that's the Lois but why though um <laughs> Um, and I mean, that's pretty much all I have. He's been in a whole bunch of movies. Christopher Reed has played him. Um, Brandon Ralph has played him, who now plays Adam in Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Henry Cavell, who after Mission Impossible Fallout, I think needs to be he got everything. He deserved better writers. He got robbed. Um, as he, he could have been a good Superman for sure. That was probably but the only part. But he smells that good. That is, he's probably the only person that I've cared about. And I don't even like really Superman, as I've explained. But he's the only person that I actually like liked from that whole universe part. Or whatever they're calling it now. The worlds of DC. Whatever. <laughs> and especially after watching him in Mission Impossible Fallout, like... So good. Got robbed. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I mean, he... Superman's everywhere. In the same way that Spider-Man is the tentpole for Marvel... Superman's the temple for DC. In fact, Superman's the tentpole for almost every single hero out there. Without Superman, you really don't get everything else. Superman is what makes everything viable. He's, and it's one of the reasons why he's so ingrained in our consciousness as 
comic book fans. Like I haven't read hardly any Superman, but I feel like I know his story because I've watched him through the years on television. I've listened to people talk about him and yeah. I mean, well, that, I think they were made for Kosovo, but there were these uh, these PSA comics printed in the 90s that had Superman telling kids about um, active landmines because there oh, were all yeah, these kids right. getting injured. But it's literally like, like like they found he was such a well-known figure that in some of these places that were like war-torn and, and were kind of disconnected from society for a period of time uh, – they th th these kids were so saturated with pop culture still that they they would listen to Superman. They they didn't yeah. entirely understand that Superman didn't exist, and that's like it's heartbreaking. But like they kind of thought Superman was real. Like and yeah, that's really heartbreaking. <laughs> it, it totally is. But it, but you'd also just think about like I, I that's just true of little kids in general. Like at, at a certain age, you know, they don't make that separation. And just thinking how much he saturated our society that like that was who's the best person to deliver this message. They asked, you know, Warner brothers and Superman was the person that they thought kids would trust. You know, they, they, if a kid knows about who knows who Superman is, then they think that he's out to help them and he's out to help yeah. everybody. And that's like kind of a beautiful message. Yeah. And it really is. And I mean, I think that's something that message that resonated with our, but we, um, so every, every episode, um, most episodes we asked for fan, but why those? So why did this topic matter to people? So going into the fan, but why those, um, for Superman, this is from at pilots and petards. Um, and he says, I'll repost this panel, but it took me a long time to get Superman and mostly he matters because it's not about his powers. It's all about his action and need to affect positive change. I think if you look at Superman through that lens, it's not corny. It's it's aspirational. And he used the panel from uh, Morrison and Quietly uh, with Reagan, um, which we've talked about now three times in this episode, <laughs> um, which shows you just that power that, you know, he has. Um, also from at Gaming Daddy-O, uh, you can listen to him on our Stack of Episode. Man, everybody responds to us. Oh, actually, should I just read this entire conversation that happened? No, because we I thought we were going to have this conversation, but we never did. What? What he's talking about now. Yeah. Okay. So essentially, um, at Gaming Daddy-O responds, his humanity, compassion, and love are far stronger than his superpowers. The ability to affect others positively through their actions are far stronger than just being able to lift a lot of weight. Um, and then ultimately, we did, in our Cats in America episode, we had a, <laughs> we kind of ripped on on Superman, which uh, pilots uh, pointed out, he said, agreed, I'm not ripping on But Why Though PC, but during their Captain America episode, they kind of ripped on his character, Cap, for being too altruistic, like that's not real life. But I feel like a bunch of teachers, firefighters, social workers, and counselors would disagree. I think Superman gets dinged for similar reasons, but I think it's because we kind of live in a more cynical age and it's hard to express optimistic and altruistic sentiments without seeming dumb or naive. I think it's very cool. Superman is an enduring symbol of positive social change through inspiration and action. So next from at JD Hall 0116, um, he says, Superman is about being the impossible in the face of everyone telling you it's impossible. He is the candle of hope in the dark. As Clark Kent, he is a crusader for truth. As Superman, he is a force for justice. And much like Cap, the American way he represents is for everyone. And then he included a panel of Superman with a giant Superman shield holding a kid. From at, at, uh, from at Lanisha, 
Um, she's actually my co-host on Did You Have To? She says, I've always loved his story and his morality. He's an illegal alien, which I think contributes to the fact that he doesn't only protect America, but what but we but what he does his best to protect all of humanity. Oh, also the one scene between him and Darkseid and the final episode of Justice League Unlimited where he's not holding back his power anymore and we realized he's been holding it back this whole time. It really shows the amount of restraint and constant awareness he has for his power. From at Gatsu083, Charles, he's one of our patrons. Thank you for, for the support. Uh, Superman matters because he's a symbol of hope. That someone can be more than they appear. You can be a simple farm boy from Kansas in a world-saving hero. And a world-saving hero. I still find it hilarious. Not really necessarily hilarious, but the fact that, like, we don't talk about, like, people growing up in Kansas. Oh, yeah. Like, I just think that's, like, an, out of all the things that happens, like, he picked in a family from Kansas. And if you've ever been Like, Kansas, middle of nowhere? Yeah, like, with nothing nowhere, around it. And just, like, what he ends up either being or whatnot or what could he have been and then the type of people that are actually in kansas and everything else it just it's weird it's also just interesting that that's what they picked when yeah. you know they one had only lived in cleveland his whole life and the other had lived in toronto and then cleveland they're both you know metropolitan areas and they're like yeah. the middle of nowhere in kansas with farmers like it's <laughs> it's, it's it, a choice that's interesting because it has nothing to do with their lives at yep. all oh yeah um, from at MVD417, despite the fact he's basically an alien demigod, Superman sees himself as a human being. He's just a guy trying to do the right thing. This, plus the immigrant allegories, makes Superman one of the most relatable superheroes. From at Nico the Aurora, who is... One of our lovely bloggers. I could never really identify myself with him, nor would I consider myself the biggest Superman fan. But watching the animated adaptation Superman Doomsday that premiered on Cartoon Network, and it left me wanting more. He's the reason I became interested in superheroes. From at Swar Seawalker, uh, Superman represents to me wonder and joy in the pursuit of doing the right thing. In the 1978 film with Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder's performances and John Williams' rousing score, we have this in its core form. It's purely uplifting. And I do want to say to you, like, this episode because it's easily been three hours long. And I think the Superman movies with Christopher Reeves probably deserve their own episode because it is a very specific version of Superman. And that did a very specific thing for superhero movies. Um, so I didn't forget them. There just isn't all the time in the world. <laughs> um, from at LOT fans mom. Uh, Superman matters especially now because he is a refugee who believes in the real American dream of equality for all. He stands for truth and justice. Go ahead and tell him that his alter ego is an enemy of the people. I dare ya. Um, that's pretty much it. If I missed any, I apologize. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately just what we, what I'm walking away with, and I guess I kind of, I mean, I understood um, in the, I, I guess technically it's the Snyderverse now because they're making it all different, but like the S stands for hope, like specifically, like that's what it means in Kryptonian or something. Well, I think it's that uh, in many versions, uh, L, his last name, yeah. Cal-L means hope and it's the sigil. Oh, of the okay. Uh, it works either way, I think. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and that's another interesting thing. Like because we, we mentioned before we started recording, I, I mentioned how I, I always like that it, it does draw on. I think their Jewish heritage because even though uh, Richard Donner, when he made the films, tried to I think kind of make it to what he saw as a Christ metaphor, because there's a lot of that as well. Uh, I think he missed the fact that it's 
kind of a Moses allegory where instead of being yeah. in, a, in a basket on a river, he's you know, sent through the stars. But uh, at the same time it, it, as well, um, his last name is Hebrew, I think, for light. Uh, yeah. L. Uh, so it's it's like there is some that, that there's there's some of that culture there uh, in his DNA from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that, and that's really important. And it's also really integral to the character. I mean, it, whenever we do a Jack Kirby episode, we'll we'll see that in his characters as well, like that special piece of him that he puts in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately like Superman stands for hope. Um, I feel a lot more, I guess like when I was doing my research and just to close it out with my final thoughts, I want to know more about the original Superman. So pre God Superman, I, I wish I had learned more about him. Um, cause I, I do want to know more about what he fought then and what he fought now. And then I, I do want to read kingdom come and I, I do want to get a better under, I essentially I'm leaving this episode wanting to get a better understanding of the character and how he connects like specifically like the people who gave us, but why those and stuff, how he connects to them. Um, cause it, it, he's just a character I've never been able to connect to. Right. Like I've, I've always found myself in the X-Men and stuff like that, but I, I'm definitely interested in finding more out. Final thoughts, guys. Adrian? I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, like, I don't know. I, I'm just not a huge Superman fan. I think, and I think, like, really, like, a lot of it stems from being a, a big Goku fan and then just, like, hearing people just talk down on Goku because Superman, I think, is, like, back in, you know, my childhood. Um, but even just, like, learning about his story and stuff, I just don't think it's, not that it's not interesting for some people, it's just not interesting for me. Um, but, I think the biggest thing that I do like about Superman, especially like in this political climate and then like the kids that I serve in my current high school uh, that I work at, like the immigrant story is powerful. And I think it's something that I hope gets revisited soon kind of in like the run, um, you know, so we, so kids who are uh, dreamers, kids who are undocumented immigrants can see how Superman, you know, fights for humanity and fights for like the US and stuff, even though they probably they might hate him. And I think that's powerful for kids today. And I think that's like the biggest but why though for me is that it, the, the immigrant story. Um, but I also think it's dumb how he can smell good after he's been dead forever. <laughs> yeah, um, there was a lot of information. I still, it's still interesting to me how Superman started from like he could jump to now. He's a demigod as one person put it. It kind of it bores me a little bit because it is one of those now with a lot of these. I know we talked about a lot of his humanity and everything else, and that's great. But just it's kind of like the stories you have to tell to basically make compelling of like I guess a, an actual superhero story and anything. Like you need all these Doomsday and like Zod, even though it's weird that his planet blew up and now every single person is apparently alive from. Kryptonian. I know he finds like a hundred Kryptonians. But he was only in a spaceship that traveled all the way over there, but somehow they made it here with nothing. <laughs> There's a lot of like stuff like that that kind of makes me weird about Superman. Weren't they? Well, no, no, no. Zod and his, in one iteration, aren't they like on a terraforming mission outside of Krypton when Krypton explodes? Or like. Probably uh, a lot of them, you know, they're in the Phantom Zone already. So they, oh, they've yeah, already been cool. war criminals who are in an out, out of phase in our dimension basically they're immortal ghosts like where they can see our world but can't interact with it at all uh but can be accessed with dimensional travel because comics <laughs> <laughs> yeah which i guess is kind of what always throws me off with him because we have like that and then we just start adding the thing we end up with the dog 
uh, as don't you dare slander crypto. I'm not slandering crypto. We have the, that, was a, like, that was a great cartoon. <laughs> um, the whole like, um, as I said before, like there's a lot of like physics and stuff that goes involved with like what he does. That's kind of hard to understand. It's, for me. it's like Spider-Man breaking Gwen Stacy's neck type things. Yeah, well, but yeah. well, and that's I always think Superman has such impossible levels of control that he has his super breath means he can either make it hot or ice cold. He can freeze things with his breath. It's like I can't make my breath cold. Like no matter how hard I concentrate, <laughs> it's like there's no what <laughs> like that's insane dude like and so if he can and i get i guess the principle they're thinking of is like oh well you're cooling your warm soup you know it's like it's the sure. same what again these are this is what happens when teenagers make the most influential well, right, right. of all time yep. but, but you're absolutely right but like the physics of it are problematic at best <laughs> like but i just figure he has to be always careful all the time and that was part of i think the richard donner version who's not quite as powerful as the comic version for the most part but then can also make the world go back in time by spinning it around so yep. best not think about that i guess but but like, i think part of that idea was that when he would bump into stuff it would be him actually kind of relaxing a little bit as clark and just not really paying attention so people would think he was clumsy but it's because he was this superpowered person in our world it's like his coffee cup breaks but it's not because he's a klutz it's because he's too strong to, to touch anything and it, it, it doesn't quite answer it to any sort of logical satisfaction but it works okay for me like but besides like the except the physics part and stuff that it's hard for me to grasp but it's hard for pretty much anybody to grasp because it's beyond like you know i guess people even though he somehow looks exactly like us <laughs> functions and has dna and everything else um Kind of, I mean, to be fair, like with the Captain, Captain America episode, we did not talk about it as much in this one, but my moral compass is not as high as his, and so a lot of that stuff is probably hard for me to see into graphs or even relate Altruism. to. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we want to go into the whole thing of the guy who That's tried to... That's a whole nother episode. The guy who tried to Actually, if you, want to he if you want to hear about that, you can go to our Captain America episode. I can see why he's basically part and why people love him and whatnot, but it's just some of those components really just unfortunately do not meet well with yeah. me or how I perceive or analyze things. I think it also just depends like what people want from a superhero, right? Like do yes. people want a superhero that they see themselves in and has their struggles or do they want in a superhero, somebody that they want to be? Yeah. He's, like, he's more aspirational than he's like reflective. I think. Exactly. Which is also why we lead into basically we bring on people like Jared and he can give his lovely final thoughts yes, on how much he loves final Superman. Well, I, I guess the only thing that I haven't touched on that, that I think is kind of cool about him uh, as a character is that he is allowed to evolve. Like, you know, a lot of other characters, they always get reset. I mean, God, we, I barely touched on it, but Spider-Man literally had the, 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 the devil was like, I want your marriage. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a deal with your wife to save your your octogenarian aunt from dying from like the seventh time she's almost died or whatever like it, it's it, the 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 links with which they'll go to reset characters back to where they started is pretty huge in comics and you know with all the retcons and everything at the same time superman has kind of endured and he you know in 2011 with the new 52 they tried to undo him in lois they tried to make him date 
a Wonder Woman. That was, that was so bad. bad. I hate it's that. So the fans, because it's so dumb, because it's like that's literally it's a it's a it's it's a fine thing to talk about with his fans or whatever, but it's the littlest kid, like most basic response, like Superman and Wonder Woman should date. It's like no, no, they shouldn't. Like that's dumb. It feels yeah. That is one of those moments where they heard the Mallrats conversation and were like, this is logical. Yeah, or like assuming that like Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark would be the best of friends because they're both billionaires or whatever. Oh, it's like, they, they would hate each other Exactly. So like, like, like He would not be able to stand Tony for five seconds and Tony would just think he was the most boring buzzkill he'd ever met. Like they would, they would not get along. They are both billionaire playboys, but in very different ways. Exactly. Like, you know, Tony is the thing that he pretends to be, but, but like, it's the same, the same basic logic, I think. And, and, and even though there's been attempts to make Superman a certain way, like, I think that they will kind of let him evolve. You know, at this point, he's got a wife and a kid and they won't let, even, even though, you know, Damien exists, they still, they've retconned that where it's like, oh, he was in a birthing chamber as well. Yeah. Because they, because Batman can't have a 13-year-old son because that would mean he can't be 25. It's like, like he's well, come oh, on. Oh, Batman's guy. finally going to get married to Catwoman? Nope. Yeah, psych. <laughs> like, he can never be happy. And, and it's the, it was the same way. Like, they really, they go back and hit the reset button a lot. But Superman has gone from the guy who he was to a guy who does have family now and found family and and he's gotten married and had a kid and it's like, he's actually been allowed to grow as a character, even though he is cheesy and even though he is, you know, kind of, I, I think from an, an old fashioned, you know, era at the same time, he gets, he gets to grow a little bit. And I think that's cool. But as you said too, he also comes from like almost like the most perfect life where he grew up with like a great family. Yeah. Oh, well, that he, is true though, because like, what are they resetting back to zero? Are they resetting back his great family. Well, he did have a great, uh, family life growing up, but uh, pre-crisis until 1987, he um, uh, he he was an orphan on Earth as well. They passed oh. away before he became Superman when he was a young man. Uh, and then in yeah. the movie, his dad had died, and then yeah, post-crisis they killed Pop before they reset everything. Although now I, I think they're both alive again. I hope so. That was always I think my favorite. They're both part. alive. That's my favorite part of Lois and Clark was him getting <laughs> yeah. to go home and talk to his parents. His parents were probably my favorite part. Like they were just awesome. And I and that might be why I do relate to him. Like you bring that up, Matt. Like like that might be why I relate to him as w much as I do because like I remember listening to a friend's Star Wars podcast like a couple of years ago, and they were like, everybody has father issues. Like everyone in the world, you know, when they were a teenager, you know, fought had some phase where they fought with their dads. Like I don't know anyone who who doesn't, and that's why we can all relate to Luke Skywalker and the and the reveal <laughs> in Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, yeah, I must be the one exception. Like I've never. <laughs> heads with my dad ever and like i guess that's superman and uh and john kent like i guess that's the same thing clark he never hated his dad <laughs> so jared <laughs> would you kill the green arrow for injuring your father oh no no certainly not uh, <laughs> but would you let him die in a tornado no that i, I didn't love that part that pocket <laughs> but, but uh i would probably do the uh the Dark Knight Returns thing. I just cut off his his uh, bow 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 pulling arm. <laughs> He's not gonna be able to do much with that without that. So, uh, well, thank you so much for being on. Um, seriously, this has been a great conversation. There's probably more we can talk about. There's probably a lot we missed. If we missed anything big that you want us to cover in the future, remember we are doing revisit episodes now. So let us know. Um, we can cover it later on. Um, so Jared, why don't you tell everybody? all of your links and ats and where they can find you. 
Uh, people can find me uh, on Twitter and I guess Instagram at I Snow Nothing, like I know nothing, John Snow, but with no G at the end. It's uh, it makes sense when you read it. Uh, <laughs> if you if you know Game of Thrones, if you don't, it's just gibberish. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you can also be found at my Star Wars podcast at uh, Podcast Two One Eight Seven on Twitter and on places where people can find podcasts. And uh, you can find Jess and I uh, on iTunes or here at the uh, but why though podcast community uh, on project tahiti which is also on twitter at, at project tahiti um so as always you can find the podcast at but why though pc on twitter it's where we're most active you can find our podcast community and all of our articles and updates and everything like that at but why though podcast.com you can find me at oh my myth Randier on twitter adrian yeah you can find me on twitter at super east 93 s-u-p-e-r-r-u-i-z 93 Matt, you can find me in a pocket dimension. 